for people who are poor, it's because they actually don't see reality for what it is. Because the way they see reality, they see making money to be impossible or incredibly difficult, or it's only for a certain select people, not for them. Right? And it's just because they... I think you gotta have a dream. The school of greatness. Really? <laughs> yeah. Please welcome Lewis Howes. I feel like a lot of society keeps people kind of trapped in this broke mindset. It's hard to kind of get ahead, right? Mm -hmm. Because of people investing in things when they don't have money, so they're in debt, and they kind of stay in debt. Mm -hmm. What is necessary for people to break the broke mindset that society has kind of trapped people in that keeps them poor? So I think um, like people have two sets of resources, right, that they allocate. So they've got time and they've got money. Yeah. And so if you look at someone's bank statement and you look at their calendar, you know what their life is. And you can also predict where their life is going to be in X amount of years, right? And so if someone wants to change what their life is going to look like, you have to reallocate where you're investing the resources that you have. And so from a time perspective, people who are poor, in my opinion, spend a lot of time not doing stuff. And that sounds terrible to say, but like at the base level, they're distracted. They're, they're procrastinating. not doing the right stuff. Right. Well, I, was, I would even say not doing anything. Just distracting them. Right. Like playing Just video games. Netflix, et cetera, you know, yeah. all that stuff, right? So they've got, there's like the basis, like they don't do anything. They're purely distracting themselves from their current state, which is hard because it's hard to confront reality. If you're like not happy, it's easier to just distract yourself, right? Mm -hmm. Now, the level above that is you've got people who are operating, they are working every day, but they're operating in low leverage opportunities, <clears throat> right? So they're, they're doing things that do not give them a lot of return on their time, right? And so it's like, I could work, it doesn't matter how many hours I work at McDonald's, I like it's very, very difficult to become wealthy there, right? It's just near impossible, right? Mm -hmm. um, versus like you could buy a building for, <laughs> $10 million and then sell it to somebody else for 11, you know, for $11 million, just get the contract and make a million dollars on the exchange. Super high leverage, right? From a time perspective, which sure. is crazy for somebody who doesn't have money to even contemplate something like that. But the only way that that happened and that required no money is skill, right? And so like, that's an example of like, it didn't require money to make that money. That's skill that's required to do that. And so first is the time, right? People are not doing stuff with the time that they have, or they're doing low leverage activities with the time they have. And then they're not trying to increase their output per unit time, which means investing in their skill set. So like one of the easiest ways to gain leverage on your time, in, and when I say leverage, just for everybody, like leverage is the difference between inputs and outputs in a system. So, um, you know, Archimedes said, if you give me a lever long enough, I can move the world. And so mm -hmm. to the same degree, if you have enough skills, you can do anything, right? And so skills give you leverage on your time. So you get more out of each unit of time. So if I'm right. a, a master cold caller, I will get more sales and calls booked for the same unit of time than somebody who sucks at it. Same time, more output, right? But because they developed a skill at a yeah. masterful level. 100%. Yeah. And so when people are allocating their time, um, they're not, by percentage, they're, they're kind of like consuming their time rather than investing their time. So they're either doing nothing or they're consuming the time rather than putting time into getting higher returns on their time, which is education, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so education you can have from like the conceptual learnings, watching stuff like this, um, or, and or, the actual doing, right? And so, the, you know, you learn Taking more- Taking action, 100%. failing, messing up, you know, yeah. feeling like a, an embarrassment in yeah. the actions, yeah. The first thousand uh, cold calls you make, the first thousand cold emails you do, the first thousand doors you knock on, the first thousand, you know, like you'll learn more from that than you'll learn from every single book you read up to that point True. on the concept, like yeah. you, you'll learn, right? Um, and so people don't allocate nearly enough time to that in the beginning. And so I think one of the things that the formal education system did really well, that people poo-poo on it, is the idea of going into debt to gain education is something that 
fundamentally makes sense. Yes, but it's got to be the right education you that a, can make you money. You got to get a return on it. Yes, that's the, that's the issue, yes. right? You have to get a return on it because, like, the idea of borrowing from a future self that can make more money to pay for the thing that you're getting the skill for makes total sense. Um, I think e- Elon was saying something about how Neuralink in the future, it's gonna be such a competitive advantage that they could price it at whatever they want because once you have it, you'll be so much more able than anyone who doesn't have it that you could so easily pay off the price of the thing. That's how it should work conceptually, right? Crazy. That's how education is supposed to work. Yes. And so um, I like, this is the simplest example that I have. So a friend of mine has uh, a 17 year old daughter. She got a job at a bowling alley and she makes minimum wage. and. He said, why don't you become a phlebotomist? And she was like, well, I don't want to spend the money. He's like, it's 500 bucks and it's a two-day certification. And then after you have that, you make $25 an hour. So she didn't have the money. Now, she could save it to get the $500, right? Or she could take a loan for the 500 bucks from her dad and pay it back in a week, right? right? Because she has higher earning capacity. And so it was like she could could either save for eight weeks, right, from her, her bowling alley to pay the 500 or... She could take a loan for the 500, do the two days, and then pay it off in a week. So at that one week, she now has seven more weeks of earning capacity. This is a micro example, yes. right? Seven more weeks of earning capacity at her new level, and she'd be net positive on the next seven weeks of earnings, right? And so that's just a micro example of like what skill investing does. Um, and so that, because a lot of us talk about like, you got to get educated, you got to learn stuff, and like you learn stuff by doing it. And a lot of times you pay for that education or access to people who can teach you those skills because a lot of people aren't going to give it to you for free. And that makes sense. It's okay. Like it took them time to learn the thing and they compressed that time to give it to you. Mm -hmm. So I mean, that's why I'm like, if there's one thing that's my like life's mission, it's education. And so I was telling my coaching students last night um, on a call that I had with them that I have multiple coaches that someone was asking about mentors. Like, how do you find mentors? How often do you stay in touch with them? And I was like, listen, when I was broke, whatever it was, 15 years ago, just getting started in this space, I was lucky enough that I had a couple local mentors yeah. in Columbus, Ohio, yeah. that kind of had pity on me. But they saw that I had this <laughs> hunger, this yeah. desire. I was like, I'll do whatever you tell me to do. Yeah. And then I came back two weeks later and I was like, I did it. Here's the results. Yeah. Here's where I failed. And that's a fuel for yeah. mentors to be like, totally. I gave you wisdom, you took action, you got results. I'll give you some more feedback. But if you just keep asking and you don't act, yeah. we talked about this with a mutual friend we have, it's frustrating for a mentor. They don't wanna give you that time. No. And um, I told him, I go, this is why I pay mentors. You yeah. know, there's a, there's a big guy in media that has a, a massive business that I, I messaged him. I'm an yeah. acquaintance with him. I said, hey, I would love to pay you for some coaching. He said, I'll just do it for you for free for 30 minutes. Now, I want to pay him yeah. because I want to be able to do it more frequently. <laughs> yeah, right. He said, I'll give it to you for 30 minutes because he likes me. We're f- friendly. But I know I can't call upon him for 30 minutes every week. Right. So now I'll go back in six months and say, I took action on everything you said in that 30 minutes. Here's our results. Can we do another call? Yeah. And that's kind of like what it, you can expect with a mentor yeah. is that type of opportunity. Unless you have a serious bond and they just want to give with their yeah. time. But investing in it, like you said, is so much more powerful in getting that speed of information, in my opinion. Totally. The single highest return on investment thing I've ever done, and not to sound trite here, but I just like using scenarios. Like if I had taken all the money that I had spent on coaching, mentorships, courses, workshops, seminars, and put that in the S&P 500 when I, uh, you know, 10 years ago, right? The amount that I would have right now 
is inconsequential compared to what I currently have. Mm. And it's because I invested in something different. So rather than investing in the S&P 500, I invested in the S&P 500. So I mm. took all of the excess cash that I had every single month. And rather than saying like, oh, I'm at a dollar cost average, you know, I'm long term, I wait four years, whatever. Um, I was like, I just don't make enough money. So like I could be the millionaire next door who saves every penny, doesn't go to Starbucks for my entire right, life and right. have $2 million when I'm old or eight, you know, whatever. For the last 10 years of my life. Right, and yeah. literally enjoy nothing during that period of time. <laughs> that doesn't sound, like that's, that's not a trade I wanted to make. And so I had a belief that I know I, I will work hard and if I'm given the right tools, I will be able to implement them. And so I took all my extra money and this is kind of, you know, a lot of people might not necessarily agree with me on this, but it worked for me. So I put all of every dollar I had, even went into debt, to get access to communities and mentors and coaching programs mm-hmm. and, and, and masterminds. masterminds. Yes. And those were the biggest gifts of all. And it wasn't even just in this, like the biggest gifts I got from those wasn't even the education, but it was the perspectives on reality. It was people disproving things that I thought to be true. So there, I was like, this is the way the world is. And they were like, that's false. Mm-hmm. And my whole paradigm shifted because I just, I, I had distortions of reality. I thought reality was different than it was. And so right now for people who are poor, it's because they actually don't see reality for what it is. Because the way they see reality, they see making money to be impossible or incredibly difficult, or it's only for a certain select people, not for them. Right? And it's just because they literally cannot see it. And so I'm trying to think of an example of when, like, you can see something that, you know, an easier example is like kids and, and parents, right? Like a kid thinks the world is a certain way and the parent's like, you just haven't seen mm-hmm. enough stuff yet. And so, you know, as you level up in the entrepreneur space, there's also just more levels of that where other people are like, this is the perspective you need to have. And you're like, no way that's possible. And so that's where those rooms um, gave me the highest ROI. The other skills, because there's so many people there that are trying to learn the same things, they already said, hey, get this program, read this book. And so they helped sift through the mountain of information that's out there because I only have one resource, which is time at that time, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's like, okay, I'll spend it, but where do I spend it? And they were like, okay, if you want to learn real estate, these are the top three guys. You can join this Facebook group, get into this guy's community. He has a coaching program that helps mm-hmm. you do wholesaling. This guy's a coach that does Airbnbs. This guy, has, you know, like, and so it's like, which one do I choose? The answer for everybody who's curious is do them all. Mm-hmm. Because you're just like, you're not, like people are like, which one should I do? I'm like, you'll, you're not going to be poorer by learning more. Right. Right? And then it's not like you have a finite capacity to learn. The more you learn, the better you get at learning. Mm -hmm. Right? And then the more uh, lines and synergies you find between different skill sets and opportunities. The more dangerous you become. 100%. If you just learn cold calling, but you didn't also learn, you know, copywriting and email marketing or speaking on stage, you know, it's the combination of multiple skills that make your earning power so much greater. I get, I'm literally getting goosebumps. Um, <laughs> dude, I love it. Uh, it's the, it's the, the compound. Yes. And so I have this example where I break down Jay-Z, right? And so if you look at Jay-Z in the beginning, like he had, you know, he probably had a natural proclivity for rhyming and beat or rhythm, uh-huh. whatever, right? So that was his first like kind of skill. He probably practiced that a little bit because he was into it, right? And then he started rapping, right? So that was his first level skill. And then he learned, you know, writing lyrics and it's like okay so that's another producing right exactly then he learned producing and then he learned marketing and then he learned performing on stages or something yes and then he learned how to sign other people to his Mm -hmm. how to start a label and they started Mm -hmm. and so with each of these skills it wasn't one plus one it was like one plus one plus one equals ten right and so like in a in a formal world like the world that's not rap like if someone's good at math they can learn accounting or bookkeeping first right it's like, okay, that's a level one skill. And then you learn accounting. Okay, now you're making more. And then you learn how insurance works. And you're like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. now you can start to see this person evolve. And then you learn how tax and tax efficiencies work. And you're like, oh. 
And then you learn how to how to package and sell businesses and negotiate those deals with you know private equity and things like that. All of a sudden, that's a CFO. That's somebody who's making multiple million dollars a year, but it's the same basic few skills that yes. stack on top of each other and get disproportionate returns on all the prior skills with each new additional skill. Yes. And so the idea is not, like people ask the wrong question when they're like, which course should I buy? Which program should I do? It's yes. Do them all. It's yes. Do them all. Yes to all, yeah. Yeah, you want, like, because each one of them you will learn things. Mm -hmm. And there's gonna be either different ways that someone's teaching, they'll have different communities, they'll have different beliefs, you'll learn from all of them. And this is something I think, you'll, I'll hear this sometimes where people say, well, I just invested in this program, I, I don't know if I have the time to invest in this next course, yeah. or read this book or whatever it is. And you got to think of like, I believe, you know, I'm doing five, six interviews a week where I'm constantly learning. Yeah. You know, every time you come on, I learn something new. It's not like there are things that confirm what I already know, but I'm yeah. also learning new things. Yeah. It's not like I've said after 10 years of doing this, I don't need to learn anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't have any more time to yeah. learn. It's so important for me to develop as a human being. And that's why I'm constantly learning. I, you know, people don't need to sit down and do interviews with people all day long. They can learn in different ways. But I don't think the investment ever ends in how much you can learn. And it compounds. Compounds. That's the best part. What would you say are the three main skills for someone to want to have the potential of being a six or seven figure earner yeah. um, that they need to start learning now? So 2023, yeah. they have that potential. In my opinion, there's three main skills in business in general. You gotta learn how to sell. You gotta learn how to build. You gotta learn, learn how to lead. So you got to learn how to get people to give you money for stuff. Got to have the stuff to sell them. And then you got to have people that work on your side to help deliver on those other two. If you can do those three things, you're unstoppable. And if you do one of those three things, you can make as much, like you can still make a ton of money. But if you, yeah. if you can do all three, you're unbeatable. Mm -hmm. Sell, build, like building a team, building. Building, so that would be on the lead side. The building is like the product and services that you have. So you have to figure out a way to deliver value to somebody. To develop a program, right. a product, a service that you can package yes. and sell. And people are like, well, how do I do that? All you have to do, there's, <laughs> this is the perspective thing we were saying earlier. It's like, I don't know where the opportunity is and people who are entrepreneurs see opportunity everywhere. It's like, and my biggest red life is that I can't live multiple lives because there's so many things I want to do. But it's because all you have to do is look for problems. You look for things that people hate. You look for inefficiencies. You just look for things that are nuisances. Like, what are things that people do every day that they hate doing? Like, and a big one, a big misnomer, I think, is that people think they need to have a new thing. You can start a cleaning business, become a billionaire. You can start a lawn care business, become a billionaire. You can start a roofing business, become a billionaire. Like, there's clear problems. Mm -hmm. Like, all you have to do is just do what everyone else is doing, learn how to sell, <laughs> learn how to deliver consistently, and learn how to lead. Yes. If you do those three things, you can do just as well as everyone else and just do it better. I was in the elevator this morning uh, coming here, and I have this, this, cat sitter that uh, used to watch my cats, right? And um, but he mostly works in a different building that I used to live in. Now I'm in a new building. He was in the new building because he had some other dogs. He's a dog, he's a dog okay. like yeah. walker, right? Yeah. But I asked him to watch my cats one time. <laughs> and um, he I literally for 30 seconds in the elevator, I was like, hey man, good to see you. And uh, I go, dude, how much you making now? Because I see him hustling. Yeah, I yeah. see him like walking around with all these dogs. I'm yeah. like, and his prices went up over the last few years. Yeah. Like when I first had him watch my uh -huh. cats, it was like 25 bucks, now it's like 40 bucks for a yeah. session. I'm like, I go, dude, what are you making? Like five, 600 bucks a day? He goes, I go, 1,000? I go, 2,000? He goes, I go, three? He yeah. goes, around 3K a day. I go, what? Walking dogs. Yeah. And I go, he goes, now it's seven days a week. Yeah. It's a grind. Yeah. I've got three employees now who are yeah, like, just I'm walking. <laughs> walking dogs. But he's like the go-to guy in Beverly Hills. And he's like independent. He's not with some, yeah. you know, 
you know, big dog walking company or something, but three grand a day walking dogs. I go, you can, there's a need, especially yeah. in this community where people are busy, but yeah. they love their dogs and they have money to spend on their dogs. Yeah. And he is providing a service. It's a problem. Three grand a day, man. Uh-huh. It's crazy. I, I love this I'm in example. I'm wrong business. I need to be walking dogs, you know? <laughs> I love this example because it's perfect because everyone can understand. It's like, what's the problem that they're solving? It's like, people don't have time to work their dogs. Whenever you're looking at any any problems, time is one of the easiest ones to solve is that people don't want to take the time to do something, right? It takes too long. You want to do it faster. Uh, Jason Flatland said the easiest business model in the world is find what someone else is doing, do it in half the time. It's just, you can yes. do it. For, and you can look at any business that exists and do that, right? And so it's like, what did he have to do? He had to learn how to sell, which means he had to get people to give him money for the dogs, which mm-hmm. part of that's marketing, but I'm just wrapping that right, right, right. promotion, getting people to give you money. He had to learn how to deliver, which is like, okay, what are the best routes to walk on? How do I manage mm-hmm. 17 leashes at the same yes. time? Like he had to figure all that stuff out, right? And then you had to learn how to lead. So exactly. he has two employees or three employees. Now he's got employees, but before he was like exhausted, right. but now he's figuring out how to build and lead. And what'll happen is he'll stop walking dogs and then he'll have team. Ten. He'll be managing it. Yeah. Right, exactly. And so it's like that's like such a that's such a perfect microcosm uh-huh. of the three yeah. skills being put to use. No, it's taken him years to do it. It didn't happen overnight. He yeah. had to build his brand. He had to, you know, show that he could deliver the value of the product consistently yeah. and all these different things. He had to be communicating and yeah. you know, be reliable, all these things. And he was like, I'm doing it seven days a week. Yeah. So he has no life, <laughs> right? So it's like an extreme, yeah. but it's possible. And uh, so the three skills I heard you say is sell, build, and lead. You can never get enough training on how to lead yourself and how to lead others because there's so much of a world inside of each one of us that has to learn how to overcome insecurities, fears, uh, traumas, triggers that will make us poor leaders of ourselves and of others so that people respect and trust us. So leading skills is probably the hardest. And it's also the one that's almost a meta skill in that it actually can layer on top of the other two. So if you think about it like as a hypothetical example, imagine I know how to recruit and lead people. And I don't know anything about marketing. I don't know anything about sales. I don't know anything about delivery. But I have a vision for what I want to accomplish a problem that I want to solve that's meaningful to me. And I think it will be meaningful to other people. I can compel people. I can persuade them and influence them to want to work and help me solve this huge problem together. Right? And so you don't even, like real talk, you don't even have to know how to sell and how to market. You don't have to know how to build a product, build a service team, because if you can lead, you can get all those other people to do that. And, and leading is also selling, in a sense. If you're, 100%. If you're a leader, if you're, a leader yeah. your energy is an enrolling energy. Your yeah. way of being, how you show up, how you communicate, is selling you yeah. and, and your vision. Yeah. Uh, you don't need to know how to sell a product and get on stage and say, buy my stuff. Yeah, right, but yeah. you need to be able to enroll people into a vision totally. that they are in alignment with. Yeah. And I think that is one of the hardest skills because people don't have the belief in themselves. Yeah. A lot of people don't believe in themselves. They don't love themselves enough to be enrolling, in my opinion. Yeah. And uh, so they discount. And that doubt, people can feel that energy and that doubt. Yeah. You have to be certain, not confident. You know what I mean? I think yeah. part of, and so it's easy to say what, like what we just said about the whole leading thing. And like, as much as everyone's like, well, I'll just jump straight to leading. Man. I feel like there's some sort of like, and this is me, I could be speaking uh, a limiting belief of my own over, so, I, you know, disclaimer, right? <laughs> but it is my belief that there's a certain amount of like spiritual strength that you gain from having done stuff. Right? Skill, developing skills. Right, developing yeah. the skills. Because you build confidence with these skills. Yeah, because yeah. you have evidence. Results. Yeah, and so people, you can you can enroll someone, you can subscribe someone to your vision, and because the next, the first question someone's going to always ask is, why should I listen to you, 
or why should I follow you specifically, right? And unless you have a solid answer that's not you being crazy, right? <laughs> being like, I have done these things. They give me evidence that I can, I can move, I can, I can move the, the goalpost further than what we have to done before because of what I have done behind me, right? Because of the path I've already walked. And so I think like learning how to sell, learning how to build are the first two skills, and then leading you learn consistently along the way for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. What would you say are the most important habits someone can develop for themselves on a daily basis to support their opportunities for earning more? Most of the important, most important lessons that I've learned in my life have come from doing and mentors. And so on a day-to-day basis, it's reducing the time between when you wake up and when you begin working, right? A lot of people lollygag and delay and procrastinate and things like that. And if you just think about there's only a certain amount of time in the day, I want mm-hmm. to increase my output per unit of time as much as possible. A lot of people have these superstitions that they have to do a certain thing or they must do X, Y, and Z. But all you have to do is talk to a single mom who has like five kids and, and no they still time. start businesses. They're not doing any of that stuff. They're waking up and they're working before their kids are up. And then once their kids go to bed, they work then too, right? And they're not doing all the lollygag stuff that you know you see trending all over social media. It's like they're working. And so like the single greatest skill, in my opinion, is being able to find a, a place that you can shut out external stimuli and you can focus. Yes. Because for me, the single, like, the single highest ROI habit that I have is that for me, between 5 a.m. and noon, I have nothing on my calendar. It is just work, no meetings, and then all my meetings happen after noon. This mm-hmm. is for the entrepreneur. Now, if you're, if you're like in a job right now, then it's gotta be in the morning before you go to work and mm-hmm. in the evening after you come back from work. But like having that dedicated time, and if you're like, well, I'm not a morning person, fine, then just work late, like that's okay. Like right. I've, I've got billionaire buddies who are like, oh, I wake up at 10 but they work really late. That's mm-hmm. their that's their special time that no one bothers them. It tends to be at the bookends of the day though, just from my experience, because in the middle of the day you get pestered and it's hard to get into that deep focus, that really, that deep learning that you get when you really pour yourself into something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think, uh, I think I saw Layla mention this in a video clip where she was like, I just wake up and I start working. She's yeah. not spending an hour morning routine or something like that. And I think you gotta figure out who you are. It's totally. like, if you wanna spend an hour or two in the morning and Taking coffee and going for a walk and working out and kind of like preparing yourself. Great. I think for me, there is some importance to at some point in the day setting an intention either for the day or at night for the next day. Agreed. So if you want to get up and work right away at night, what are the three most important things or what are the actions you're going to take that are going to get you closer to your vision that next day? So having some five, ten minutes to have an intention and then act on it, right? As opposed to just reacting to the world. Yeah, 100%. That's what I believe, but. There was this one, um, to consolidate what we were saying earlier, because I like, this matters a lot to me. Give it to Um, me. Most skills can be learned decently with about 20 hours of focused effort. 20 hours. Like the first 20 hours of you actually doing something, you learn the most you're gonna learn about the thing. If you just consider by percentage of learning from like, you know nothing, to 20 hours in, you already have a really good understanding of the thing. The problem is that most people will take years to start the first hour. Mm. And so that habit that you're referencing is that my speed, at least now as I, you know, I've gotten better at this stuff, is that like I try and detract the time from when I want to learn something or when I want to start doing something to starting it as soon as I can because I just want to start getting through those 20 hours as fast as I can. Yes. And so that's just been a very tangible because it seems like this amorphous thing, but there was a study that was done that was like in the first 20 hours you can learn almost any skill, playing guitar, running an ad, 
doing a call, like you'll learn more in that first 20 hours than any other time. So it's like, then just get to that 20 hours yes. and don't delay. Yes. And that's been one of the, one of the most, one of the deepest lessons I've had because it took me four years to learn how to build a website and it took me one day to actually learn. Crazy. Cause you decided to act on the learning. Four years to delay and procrastinate and say, I'm not a tech guy. I, I'm not a tech person. This isn't my kind of thing. I'm a gym guy. I'm a local business owner. I should pay somebody to do this. I'm above this kind of thing. Like all these stories, right? And then one day I sat down on a Sunday morning. I was like, I'm going to learn this thing. And you Googled it and you took, you, know, you just learned it. Step yeah. by step by step. And you know what? I set the whole day aside. It took me four hours. Crazy. It's amazing. You'll, you'll hear, I bet you've heard this so many times that people are like, I want to launch a podcast. I want to start a YouTube. I want to launch a book. Yeah. And they've been saying it for years and years right. and years when you can literally go on Amazon and upload a book in an hour. Yeah. If you just learn the steps, yeah. it might feel daunting and over totally. like, I don't know how to do this. And how do I link my payments and create a book and put it up there? But you can create a one page book and launch it yeah. to at least say you did it. Yep. And now you know the steps. So it's not as scary. 100%. I think so many people are afraid to launch their thing because they don't understand how to do it and they think it's going to take a lot more time than it actually is you may not be good at it right away yeah your website probably wasn't perfect yeah but you got the website up within four hours yeah and then you can make it better over time and there's this there because the, the the that first hour is you paying down the fear of uncertainty it's all these fears of like not being enough. What if I feel stupid? Because you have felt stupid when yes. you try to figure something else yes. out. But like if you remember how hard it was to learn how to tie your shoes when you were a kid, right? Because it's like, I have to remember. And then this one and the two bunny ears, you know, the whole thing, right? But like now you can do it in your sleep. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, the, it's just the emotions we have about beginning work because of the judgments we're going to put on ourselves about how we're doing. But if we can remove the judgment of how we're going to do and say, I assume I'm going to suck. And all I'm doing is I'm going to start pulling the thread of this 20 hours. That's my only goal is to start sucking. That's it. I just want to start sucking rather than nothing. Right. You got to love, you got to love embarrassing yourself the way I feel like it. These skills that you're yeah. going to learn, they're going to bring you a lot of value long-term. They're not easy to start with. They're not. And so you've got to be okay with accepting embarrassment of your own self. Um, what's the, what's the belief that, why is it so hard for people that haven't made money? Mm -hmm. Let's talk about like the daunting number for a lot of people, which is seven figures, okay. which is, it was hard for me to, to get over the hump mentally and psychologically of like, how do I go from $5,000 a month yeah. to $10,000, then 10,000 to 20,000. And then how do you get a business? I'm talking about business owners. How do you get it to six figures and then to the seven figure mark as a business owner? Why, do we overcomplicate money in our minds if we've been taught stories as kids or been taught beliefs about it and how do we get over the overcomplication of making seven figures yeah. as entrepreneurs i would i agree with you that i think it gets overcomplicated and so we just have to boil it down to the, the first principles of the math like what what math is required to make a million dollars right like we can either sell you know, a hundred, ten thousand dollar things. We can sell a thousand, thousand dollar things. We can sell, and by when I say things, you don't have to price your product at a thousand dollars. Your just lifetime value of a customer has to be a thousand dollars, right? So, just how much somebody's going to spend with you over the period of time that they they buy from you in general, right? Now, if you're selling products, that might just be the the, mm -hmm. the lifetime value. But if you sell services like the 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 dog guy, yeah, he probably has people who stay with him for years, and so he has yes. to add up that total lifetime value as the number. And it's like, well, how many of those do I need to sell? And then you just divide it by, you know, to to, to back into it, and so. Once you know the math, right? So the first is like, what is the math to get to the million? And you have to figure out how many units you're going to sell. So let's just use something that's, um, let's use a thousand dollars because it's it's yes. a, it's an easy one. Okay, so a so, thousand sales of a thousand bucks. Exactly. 
So we have to do a thousand sales. Now, how are we going to break that down on an annual basis? Because thousand sounds like a huge number. Well, it's about three a day, right? Like, okay, mm -hmm. well, three a day is all of a sudden a lot more manageable. Yeah. And we're like, okay, well, what creates a sale? So at some point, to get set, I'm going to take one step before for six figures for anybody who's not there. It's like you have to sell, and this is again for business owners, entrepreneurs. If you have a job, then awesome. But like, if you're trying to if you're trying to make money, it's you have to sell something to someone. That's it. That's all you have to do to get to six figures to do that. So that's one avatar, one uh, one medium, one channel, right? One product, one channel. That's all that is. You add the fourth piece, which is consistency, right? That's what goes from six to seven. That's is hard that, for people. And the consistent, yeah, one hundred percent. Because then you can tackle all the emotional or whatever it is <laughs> yeah, that yeah. why you're not being consistent. But from a math perspective, we just have to break down what are the primary actions that result in the the output, right? And so if three sales means that I sell one out of three people who want to walk, or one out of two people who come for the for the dog walking, okay, well then I need six appointments a day. Okay, how do I get six appointments a day? Mm -hmm. It's like, well, I have six ways that I can get appointments, right? I can get appointments from referrals. I get appointments from affiliates. So I, I, I make a deal with um, the local grooming place for mm -hmm. dogs yeah. or the local vet for dogs. I or put the, my flyers up or something. Yeah, or the yeah. urgent care for dogs yeah, yeah. or pet coat. Like whatever. I mean, like I, there's a million ways, right? Like I, I get one of those guys. I figure out how to deal with them. And I say, I'll give you the first two months of what they pay me to you if you just send them to me. Yes. More money for them. And it probably helps their customers because it's a need that they can't solve, but mm -hmm. they have the same avatar. Cool. So you got referrals, you got affiliates, you've got, uh, you could just reach out to people you know, just one-on-one, -on -one, like, hey, I've got my, my thing. How, like, do you need help with your dog? You could reach out to people you don't know, which you can do through post notes, cold calls, <laughs> emails, door knocking, mm -hmm. like the, uh, flyers. Yeah, yeah, all of those things are ways that you can reach out to people you don't know one-on-one. -on -one. You can make content about how dog walking is amazing and ways to, ways to walk your dog better, uh, ways to take care of a dog. And the whole point of that is to get people to feel comfortable with you specifically in your brand that you are that you will do a better job taking care of their dog than they, they will. will. Exactly, <laughs> yes. right? You want people to feel guilty that they're not doing all this stuff for their uh -huh. dog. And then they would start, you know, then you start getting, you feel inbound, right? And then finally you have ads, right? You pay, you have run paid ads um, to get to get new new appointments booked, right? And so those are the six primary things you can do to get customers, right? And so it's like, okay, I need six appointments a day. I have those six different ways that I can get them. Which of them do I feel most comfortable with? Because you can, you can win at all of them, right? right? And it could be soliciting your customers for the referrals. It could be getting the affiliates uh, relationships set up. It could be the one-on-one -on -one DMs. It could be the ads. It could be the content. Any of those six would work, right? And so we just have to pick yeah. which one you want. And so then you just reverse engineer those actions of, because even one step after that, Obviously, this is something I do a lot. So <laughs> if you reverse engineer the affiliate thing, right? Mm -hmm. So how do you get affiliates? It's like, well, I need to reach out to 100 people a day. So you'd still use one of the other methods. So cold outbound, uh, warm outbound content DMs, or ads, yeah. right? To get that those affiliates and say, like, okay, well, if I reach out to 100 affiliates a day that are in my, in my local region um, to see if they will partner with me and I can create some sort of relationship, if I do that every day, maybe I'll get two of those referral partners a week. And if each of those referral partners a week can get me 10 appointments, then for me to get my six appointments a day, it's 180 appointments uh, per month, if I need 18 affiliates. Right. So all I gotta do is get 18 affiliates. But then if you're thinking right now, you're like, well, wait, but I would be able to get 18 affiliates in probably like a month or two. And the answer is you're right. But people just don't think through the math of how to do it. Because if we're being real, there's no reason you should cap your business at a million. Right? And so to the same degree, when we ask the question like, how do I make a million dollar business? You also think in increments that somebody who's trying to make a million dollars thinks in, right? Because I got asked on this TikTok, so they gave me this prompt. They said, hey, Alex, how would you make six figures a year? 
That was the question. And my immediate response was, I would sell something for 100 grand and then figure out what I would do for the rest of the year. Yeah. And so it's like, these people <laughs> think about money differently. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so if you think about how do I build this thing into like 100 million, like, and you have to think of a number that's as high as you can fathom, right? If you can't fathom 100 million, then don't think that. But like, as, as high as you can mathematically fathom. So it might be $10 million. Okay. Think like, how many dogs would I need to walk? And you just reverse the math right. into what you need. Right, and then how many people I need to hire, and how many, yeah. exactly, and then you start, and then you start with the inputs because in the beginning, the only inputs you have is going to be the content. It's going to be running the ads, it's going to be doing the warm, it's going to be doing the reach outs. That's yes. it. Those yeah. are the inputs, and then everything else is going to stem from that. And then what will happen is if you have that the advertising machine on the front end to bring people in, the bottleneck becomes your leading, rather than the selling and the product. You're so, leading, yes. right? And so then the focus then becomes how do I use that same? If you really want to get deep on this, how do I use that same skill set of advertising and then shift it to my internal? Because I still have to do warm reach outs, I still have to run ads, I still have to make content, I still can have affiliates or get referrals from my employees to get more team. Mm -hmm. And so every business has two funnels. You have the front end funnel that gets you customers and the back end funnel that gets you team. And so as you crank this guy, you need to crank this one. And then that's how you can scale these things to the moon without stopping. Right. Is it harder to get leads and sales or harder to build a powerful team with the right culture? I think they're both hard and both easy for different people. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like Layla naturally is very good at the back end funnel. I mean, she's so good at building culture, but she has this thing that she's kind of spoken over me from a belief standpoint, which is if you are a really good marketer, a really good salesman, a lot of them are like, oh, I'm not a good, I'm not a good leader. I'm not a good operator, not a good whatever. And she's like, if you can sell all those people and influence all those people, you can use that same skill set and just face internally to your team. It was a nice belief shift for me or belief breaker for me. I was like, she's totally right. Mm-hmm. And so... To the point that you were making earlier, like leading is selling and influencing, a lot of it really comes down to being able to move people and being able to clearly communicate what you want. Why do you think it's so hard for people to overcome their limiting beliefs around money in general? A lot of people were told things about the world that were not true and they take them as fact. And so they're making their decision calculus off of something that is not true. And so they're making conclusions off of false data. And that, so that's why they can't see it because what they're basing their assumptions on is false. Mm. Right, but, they, but believing it for so long. Yeah. So I mean, how do they change that belief when it's been baked in their psyche for decades? Yeah, I think that the way that the biggest beliefs have been broken for me have been one of two ways. Reality proves me wrong, or someone tells me a story and gives me evidence from their lives. Like I remember when I we went to a mastermind, and I we were just starting out. I was not making a ton of money, um, and the guy a guy got up there. And he gave his little spiel and he's like, yeah, you know, we're making three or $400,000 a month. I don't really know what I'm doing. I'm not really sure I like the business, blah, blah, blah. And the guy did not seem smart. And you were like, how is he doing this? And it's funny you say that because my actual first thought was if he can do it, I can do it. Right. And so that was like he through evidence, <laughs> like he reshaped my reality. It was one of the most momentous things. I remember Layla and I both had the same takeaway because she was next to me. We both saw this guy do this. Like we walked out and we're like, dude, if he can, like we both immediately had the same conclusion. Like if he can do it, we can do it. And so I think that that's like, how do you, you either, you either have reality prove you wrong or someone else is that reality for you where they tell their story about, hey, I used to feel the same way. I used to think this thing. And then I will share my story so you don't have to have the scar. Yes. So you don't have to give up five years of your life to learn this lesson. I'll just give you the story mm-hmm. so you don't have to have the scar. There's certain things I think we need to learn on our own and fail and, you know, and make mistakes on our own. But there's a lot of things we can learn from other people. Being yeah. the youngest of four kids, I watched, you know, my older siblings fail and succeed in their own ways as yeah. a model and say, okay, I don't want to make this same mistake. Yeah. I made other stupid mistakes, but I didn't make certain mistakes that they had made. And, um, 
and able to accelerate that time from the pain that I was going to feel by making the same mistakes. Yeah. Um, I think you're going to make mistakes no matter what, but I think that's seeing other people and learning. This is why it's so important to have coaches, mentors, people that can, can break the beliefs in you and tell you what you need to do. If you think about human, like the human race, just to zoom out because I think it's a really interesting concept. I was talking to um, Caleb about Gary and I'm a competitive person. Yes. I like, you know, thinking like, oh, by the time I'm that age, I'm going to be further. I'm gonna, you know what I mean? Like, and it's, it's, it's lovingly, right? And he said this thing back to me that like, it hit me, right? And he was like, dude, Gary didn't have Gary. Right. He just had to do it on his own. Right. And all of these, and so... The thing is, is like a lot of us and myself included, I get caught up in the like, man, these kids have it so easy, you know, blah, 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 right? I didn't, YouTube wasn't even around when I, you know, like all this <laughs> yeah, stuff, yeah, right? Yeah. But the thing is, if you ask most entrepreneurs what they want to do with their lives, they say they want to make an impact on the world. They want to make the world a better place. But like making the world a better place, what that looks like is it being easier for mm-hmm. the next generation. And so mm-hmm. rather than lamenting the fact that the guys who are younger have it easier, that was the point. Yes. That was the like mission accomplished. Mm-hmm. And so it, it, re- it reframed how I thought about being the greatest of all time because I think a lot of people have that goal to be the greatest. I mean, a lot of people have that goal. But the more I thought about it, the more I was like, I can't have that goal because if I did my job, then I have to have made people who are after me get there faster than I got there. And so the mark of the success is that I'm not the greatest of all time, but that other people who come after me are even better. Mm. And so it really shifted my relationship with how I saw future generations, or sorry, uh, past generations, guys who are older than me, who are killing it. And I used to think, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna beat them. And if I look at my how much I'm worth at this at this age versus them, like I just doing the math, I should be further along than them by the time I'm their age. And it was this kind of like different com- competition rather than this gratitude for like, well, of course I'm gonna be bigger than they are at their age. I had them to help me. They didn't have them to help mm-hmm. them. And so. I'll I'll age up and we'll be multi-billionaire, whatever it is, right? And then there's going to be a young whippersnapper who had me to help, right? Who had me to help him out? Because I'm seeing, you know, we have guys who apply for acquisition.com who are in their 20s to 100 million a year, right? And I'm like, and that was that wasn't possible 50 years ago. It just wasn't, right? right? And so if you think about like the human race in general on a macro perspective, right? You have like rather than seeing the people who who are older than you as the old dogs that you have to to kick off, right? And by all means, play hard in the paint. Don't get me wrong. Um, and the people, the young whippersnappers behind you as, you know, resenting them for the fact that they got it easier. It just flipped the script for me in terms of like, I'm so gra- grateful for these guys who came before me because they didn't have them. Right. And then if these guys do eventually beat me, right, or, or they're further along than I was at their age, rather than lamenting them to protect my ego, because what it really says is you're better than I am. Because mm. if, they're, if, they're, if they're making more money at a younger age than me, then it means they're better at business in some way than I was at that age. That's, that's just the fact of business, right. right? They're better than me at that age. And to protect my ego, I want to say they have <laughs> right. it easier, right? But rather than- rather but What does that do for you if you protect your ego as opposed to help others accelerate faster than you? I think it just reframes it. And so it takes the ego away from, I need to crush these guys or I need to poke at why it's easier for them. And instead say like, it being easier for them is my purpose. Mm-hmm. How can I say that my mission is to document each other the best practices of building world-class companies and then not be pumped then for someone to use yeah. the best practice of building world-class companies 10 years before I learned them to accelerate way past. Mm-hmm. And so anyways, that, I just, that was a frame of reference that completely shifted the narrative for me in terms of competition. I still am pushing as hard as I possibly can to transform my potential into reality. Um, 
but it feels it feels different. It feels yeah, lighter, cool. and yeah. I like it. Yeah. So, anyways, I just want to share because it, it was a cool that's breakthrough cool, that I had recently. Yeah, you do look a little lighter. Yeah, I'm fine. Mentally, emotionally, and physically, you lost a little weight too. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I just had uh, Steve Young on, who's a Hall of Fame uh, quarterback in the NFL, yeah. won multiple Super Bowls. He was just on a couple days ago, and he said, back in the late '80s, and I guess it was the '90s. Bill Walsh, the coach, who was like, he said three generations ahead of every other head coach at that time, he had a, uh, a camera guy with him all the time mm-hmm. documenting his processes, and he would package it into these, I guess, VSH tapes yeah. and put it in a box, and he would give it to all his assistant coaches uh. and say, I want you to learn these skills. Uh, his offense was the West Coast, Coast offense, so it was a far ahead of its time where most people were just running the ball down, mm-hmm. you know, down the middle. And... Um, so he gave away everything for free. Yeah. And he said, I want you guys to learn this and then come and challenge me. Yeah. You know, use my information and come. And people, he said years later, some coaches would leave to become head coaches and they would compete yeah. in big games together. Sometimes they would lose against these other coaches yeah. that he coached. Yeah. And he loved it. And he is still revered as a leader in the yeah. space because he was ahead of the time, because he documented it and gave away the skills yeah. to his other coaches. And I think that's really cool. I mean, you're not going to be able to do this forever, so you might as well leave some legacy behind in that respect as well. Yeah. It puts the game above the player. Yes. Rather than putting the player above the game. Yeah. And so, like, I think right now, if, if Elon had a choice of having somebody else accomplish all the things that he is setting out to accomplish and it not be him, my hope, my belief from everything that I have seen and witnessed of Elon is I think that he would be stoked. And because it's mission first rather than, like, mm-hmm. ego first. Mm-hmm. And so, like... Steve Young put the game of football and it consistently being elevated to be played at a higher level as more important than him because in three generations, no one will remember him, exactly. right? But the game will always have his fingerprint, mm-hmm. right? And so like he can live on in that way. Exactly. And to the same degree in the business game, it's like we honor the game by playing to our absolute hardest and by, and by doing our best and passing it on to the next generation. So anyways, I yeah. love that stuff. That That's stuff cool. gets me amped. What is the vision for you now? Because... When did we first have you on? I can't remember. It was a few months back, yeah. right? And we've hung out for dinner a couple times, yeah, yeah. and I've seen you a few times. But there's, a, there's been like a transition in you in like three to four months. You know, <laughs> there's been like an evolution already. I'm hearing you say you're having realizations and recently. Yeah. And, and before, it seemed harder, right? Yeah. And now it seems like there's something that's unlocked inside of you. So I'm curious, what is the business vision that you have? What's the number you want to reach? Yeah. And personally, for the business, all these things. Yeah. I know you've talked about being a billionaire. It's just yeah. going to take a matter of time. Yeah. When do you think being a billionaire will happen for you? Um, I'd like to do five to seven for a billion. I'd like to hit 10 and 10. That's, uh, that's what I would like to do. I think that we can do that math-wise um, based on kind of the in- inflow of deals that we have, how, like the returns that we're getting um, in general. Like I think mm-hmm. we can do that. Um, but the thing that like really drives me, though, is... Acquisition.com is the wealth machine that is behind Alex and Layla's media, right? And so I, I wouldn't be a very good business educator unless I had proof or evidence that I actually was good at business, right? Mm-hmm. And so we obviously could just sit on the laurels of the three exits we had last year, three exits we had last year. But to me, that's not like, as, as crazy as this will sound, it, it, it's not super impressive, you know what I mean, at least for where I want to go. Um, and so I want to have a billion or multi-billion dollar thing because I think it would be so cool. Like how cool would it be if we, if, if Jeff Bezos and, and Warren Buffett and Elon Musk and all those guys had documented everything that they learned throughout that path. All we get is these snippets, shareholder letters every once in a while. And it's just like, they're so little and they're going to die and we're going to lose it. Mm. We're going to lose all those lessons. And so 
part of it that excites me is just calling my shot because I think um, that always just like enlivens a little bit of the competition. But I do believe from a mathematical standpoint, we will get there. So it's not, to me, it doesn't feel like a super big, I'm not really pointing that far to the fence. Um, But seeing the hordes, the scores of businesses that are using the stuff in the books and the courses and YouTube and podcast and, you know, TikTok and Instagram and, and LinkedIn and use those and the message I get every day of like, dude, you helped me go from a million to 5 million a year. You helped me go from, you know, quit my job and then start my dog walking business. And now I'm doing, you know, six figures a month. And like those stories, I know that I will probably never meet most of them. I will probably never work with the vast majority of them. But the fact that it's happening just amps me up. Mm. Like it just gets me so lit. That's cool. And so the media has been really cool and new for me, um, but I like it. And so I'm learning it. And so it's just a, it's a new thing that I get to learn. And so I'm really loving that. Yes. And then seeing the vision of where we're going in terms of what we're building on the acquisition.com side and the companies that we're scaling there and the impact that they're having, because many of them are also education businesses, not all of them, but like probably yet, probably about half. Um, seeing that on both sides, like us directly influencing through media and then the, the actual wealth machine on both sides, like I just see them mm. both expanding. That's cool. And so I don't, I had, we were talking before this, but it was like, I, I saw a limit with Gym Launch, Prestige Labs, like the, at least the, my, my vision was limited. And that could have been me being younger, whatever it is. But like, I don't feel like my vision is obstructed in terms of where this can go. And so that is what amps me up. A, a buddy of mine sold his company for a couple billion and he's been in a little bit of like a, a, a rut Funk. since then. Yeah. Isn't it interesting after people sell for it a is. lot of money, why do you feel like they go into a depression or a funk after they sell a billion dollar company? Because they lose the vision, right? Like the vision, like I think the vision is another word for hope, right? It's hope for a better future. That's what we're marching towards, right? And you, and you basically give that away to someone, right? And I for think money. You sell it. For money. Right. Yeah, in exchange for right, money, right, right. right? And then the hope ended up fueling you more than the money ever does. But different conversation but the uh but he said this one thing to me and, I, and, and and it really resonated he's like i'm just looking for my next big bone to gnaw on and that visual for whatever reason like stuck to me and so i'm like i just need a big bone to gnaw on knowing that i'll never chew through the entire bone but being pumped every day to just get a little bit further down the down the nub <laughs> you know what, what happens if we don't have a vision for our lives i think you have less direction and so you make less progress because you're not actually, you can't make progress unless you have direction because otherwise you're just moving. Mm-hmm. So like you can only have direct, like a vector, right? You know, dr- movement in a direction um, if you know where you're trying to go. And so it's like the first thing we have to do is figure out where we're trying to walk and then we mm-hmm. can start walking there. Yes. You said you want to be a billionaire in five to seven years. So you kind yeah. of see the math playing out that way. Yeah. Let's say uh, you were forced to do it in half the time. Yeah. Three years, you were forced to be a billionaire. Yeah. Or some catastrophic event would happen. Yeah. What would it take from you to reach the billion dollar goal in half the time? What would you need to do differently? And how would you need to think and act differently? I would I would probably onboard more operators faster. Um, that being said, the current plan gets us there in like three years. I say five to seven publicly because I want to give myself a little buffer. I tend to be that way because like I, I, I have probably a little bit different approach with goals. Like I want to hit every goal. Like I don't like missing goals. And so for me, um, I don't like teaching myself or teaching other people that if I say something's going to happen, it doesn't happen. Because some people are like shoot for the moon, think really, like I think you absolutely should think really big. But then like, okay, how do I make a goal that like, and then, I, and then once I have that goal, do the activities that make it unreasonable not to hit it. Like, if I had to hit this goal, to your point, 
what level of activity would I have to do that it would be unreasonable, it would be unacceptable based on how I see reality that I would not achieve it. If you're like, I wanna learn sales, I would say it's, un, it's unreasonable that if you get on 10,000 sales calls, you will not be good at sales. It'd be unreasonable. Okay, how, how long will it take me to get on 10,000 sales calls, right? A lot of time. Yeah, a couple of years, yeah. right? A couple of years, you could do it. Okay, so then I can, that's a goal. You know what I mean? Like, and I can set that, and if I do the activities, it would be unreasonable that I'm not, now realistically, you probably get there in half the time, mm-hmm. right? Because you're probably pretty good at sales even after your first two, 3,000 calls, right? You're probably yes. pretty good. And so with this, um, we would, uh, I mean, what we're doing now is, 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 the only thing I could probably do is take on bigger companies. Um, that would be the the shortest path, um, but I feel I feel confidently like in terms of how much we're stretching, um, I feel good about it. Like it would take, I would feel like I'd be taking on more risk to hit that. If that makes mm-hmm. sense. Um, if you had to do it, yeah, in half the time with less risk, yeah, with less risk. What would you need? That's to do? a good question. Um, what would need to happen? What would need to shift inside of you? Yeah, I would. I would need more people faster. I mean, it would just be... How I would, many people would you need? I would spend more aggressively on talent acquisition. So I would basically go into, like, from the debt perspective, right? So rather than think of the businesses ca- or, like, the portfolio companies as cash flowing towards me, I would probably take all of the excess that is there um, and plow it into talent earlier. So right now I live on a certain amount of cash flow, et cetera, from, you know, just from the portfolio companies. Um, and I probably have gotten accustomed to that, and so I don't like cutting below that. So if I had to, then I would say all of that money, rather than going to Alex, is going to go into more talent, team. bigger, faster. Yeah, exactly. Investing and then they team. would amplify, and then they would be able to. We would increase our rate. You would have less money in the short term over the couple of years, yeah. but then you would have way more money in the long term. Totally. So it's a, so it's a comfort level. Yeah, it is. It is. No, it's as we're you, talking about, yeah, it, yeah, you knowing that you like to have a certain yeah. amount of cash flow every month. Yeah. But you've got a bunch of cash in the bank too. I know it's totally it's it's hundred percent illogical. If you had to do it though, let's say you had to do it in, in two and a half years. <laughs> say if we had to do it tomorrow. You know, if you had to do it in two and a half years, because you need time too. Yeah, yeah. You know, that yeah, yeah. Five, you know, five to seven. You had to do it in two and a half, yeah. and you had to stretch and get extremely uncomfortable. Where yeah. you're not going broke. Obviously, yeah. you got money. Yeah. How many people would you need to hire? Yeah. And how much less cash flow would you need to have? I mean, I would eliminate my cash flow. All your cash. Flow. Yeah, I mean, if I was if I was really going, I mean, I was going ham on it. I would just I would have no cash flow to me. I mean, I don't need. You have money. Yeah, yeah, I have money. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. So I would eliminate all the cash flow to me, and um, it would a hundred percent of the money would go into the team. The only thing that would go faster than that is that I drain my own net worth to further mm-hmm. fund. Per, yeah, exactly. Go. You're, I would be incurring financial debt to more quickly build the enterprise value of the asset. So I'd be transferring money into the asset fast. It's like you incur different types of debt. Like if you incur yes. no debt when you start a business, you do always incur debt. You incur management debt, you incur technical it's debt. Time debt. 100%. And so people like all businesses start with debt. It just depends on what type of debt you're dealing with, right? And so if you don't have money, then that's fine. You just incur other debt. Like even when we think about how we built, how we're building the hold code right now at acquisition.com, like I am building more fixed cost in the infrastructure right now because of what I want it to be in a year, two years. Yes. And so if I wanted to run it, so like we already do reinvest, obviously, a, a big percentage, but I would just reinvest more Into and team. be okay with it. Yeah, I just, I've just grown accustomed to this. And it was funny because a, a buddy of mine I had dinner with last night sold his company for $250 million. And we were talking about how cash flow is a very regular reinforcer from a, from a behavioral standpoint. Like you get this feedback directly every month of how you're doing, right? And so you... As entrepreneurs, or at least for me, I've been always a, ca- a high cash flow entrepreneur. Like I'm, I've never been like a 
reinvest every dollar into the business. I like making money from my businesses. Um, but I've, that has become a trait that I have learned to look at as my barometer every month. Like, how am I doing? How am I doing? How am I doing? And so it would have to, so to the question of like, what would have to change in me? I would have to change how I measure success. And then I'd have to reinforce the behavior in a different way. I'd have to measure it differently. Right. And so is the cash flow coming from all the businesses you guys yep. are in partnership with? Yeah. You get a percentage of cash flow. Yeah. They get a percentage of the business owner yeah, as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so you have a certain amount of cash flow. Uh, every month it's coming in from mm -hmm. all these businesses, right? Yeah. But you also have a ton of money in the bank. Yeah. So one of them you could, yeah, I could. take some money out somewhere. You could <laughs> yeah. still keep the cash flow coming yeah. and take the money from the, the savings. I'm so security driven. It's funny because I was having this conversation with this guy and so the guy sold his company for $250 million. For the last 10 years, he's lived on 70000 a year. 70000 a year. And so he was staying at the Marriott and I was staying at a nicer hotel. And I was like, dude. <laughs> you got money now, yeah. You got money now. And he's like, I know. It's like, but I just... Isn't that funny? I, for, totally. year, for years, I would sit middle seat, you know, back of the airplane, cheapest flights for years. Yeah. Even when I had yeah. seven figures and yeah. a year coming in. Yeah. But because I was so used to, I was like, I don't want to lose my money. Totally. You know, it's like, I want to make sure that I can live like this. Yeah. I was still sleeping on friends' couches yeah. when I traveled to events. It was like any way to save money. And it's not until the last couple of years was like, okay, my back hurts. I need to like have some like <laughs> leg room, right? I'm a big guy. But for years, it was just like, how do I save and use that money to reinvest in going to the event, yeah. buying the ticket to the conference or yeah. investing in coaching that will accelerate the revenue long-term? Yeah, I, it's so funny you say that because I think, and I, this, this is just off the cuff here, but um, many of the people that I know who have tremendous amounts of money have huge fears around being poor. Mm -hmm. And so as, just as an interesting thought, like a lot of people who don't have money see people who have money as thinking differently and they might in that they are more uncomfortable being poor than you are. Mm -hmm. Like it is more painful for them than it is for you. It might be. I'm just being really it real. It might be why some of them are stingy too with their of money. Of course, like, I'm not going to spend this $5. I'm going to keep it. You know, they're very stingy with all of it. Two nights ago, I was we were out with, uh, to dinner with a guy who just got valued at a billion. Right, and it's all cash flow. It's not one of these software things. Like it's off. Like he's wow. getting, yeah, like he's making real money, crazy money. And he's like, I'm not going to that gym. He's like, for for equal. I said, I'm not paying two hundred dollars a month for a gym membership. It's it's a different perspective. Now, I'm not saying I'm that way. You know yes. what I mean? Like I'm okay spending on gym membership. Yeah, like that's yeah, fine yeah. for me. But like everyone has their own things, and like there are these behaviors, like. He got the other guy who had the 250, he got to that point because he lived, he, he squeezed everything out of his business, which made the business so valuable and then he was able to sell it. But like the, the billion dollar guy was saying, he's like, you know what they don't tell you about when you sell your business because he's sitting next to the guy with the 250, right? And he's like, the moment you sell your business, he's like, you have no cash flow. And so he felt that too. He's like, mm -hmm. what are you going to do? He's like, you're going to take the money and then what are you going to do? You're going to try and buy more cash flow because you got to replace the cash flow you, you have with the business. You got to get like, real estate assets. You got to do something else. He's like, else. why bother? He's like, I'll just keep it. And so he doesn't have any intentions of selling. And so it was an interesting lesson for me too because like we obviously got rid of our cash flow asset when we sold uh, all three last year. Well, you got a lot more money, but you don't have the money cash coming right, in. Right, because then it looks like this, this finite asset. The business goes on forever, in your mind at least, right? And so it gives you this illusion of control, this illusion of security. And me personally... Most people wouldn't believe this when I hear it, but like I'm very risk averse. And so I probably need like, what's the core changes that I need to have? I probably need to be a little bit more of a risk taker mm. um, than I am. Like I tend to always take the lowest risk path uh, when I can. Even, even the idea of like when I quit entrepreneurship, or sorry, when I quit my job to start entrepreneurship, it was because I knew that the path that I was on 
was guaranteed not to get to me where I want. Mm -hmm. So I had a zero outcome. And that, so this one, even though it was lower, like I had a low chance of success, the other one had a hundred percent failure guarantee. And so that, so it felt like the lower risk option mm -hmm. for my long-term goals to quit my job and become an entrepreneur for that reason. And, right. and so, you know, people are like, I'm really risk averse. I'm like, so am I. Like I hoard money. Like I'm, <laughs> you, I do. You wouldn't spend do. any of the money from the exit no, still. It's not like just all. sitting in the bank. Nothing. Yeah. We started working the next day. We yeah. didn't even take it. We didn't take a day off. Yeah. We literally sold, wire hit, and we started working on acquisition.com the next day. Let's say you had to um, put your, start putting that, uh, cash flow every month into other things, team, yeah. resources, whatever yeah. it is. And that wasn't coming in. And, uh, you know, maybe, let's call it a hundred grand a month was coming in with cash flow. I don't know how much it is, but let's yeah. just say that is going into hiring team and other yeah. things to support you getting to the billion in two and a half yeah. years. What would need to shift in, in, inside of you after three months of feeling no cash flow come in to stack your bank account in order for you to be okay with it? To get to that billion quicker, I would just have to be more secure, just realistically. Like I, I use. What does that mean? Is that an internal? I use, I use cash flow at, from businesses as evidence to the fact that I'm not a failure, mm. and so I use. I, I've always like it. It has been easier for me to change my conditions than to change who I am, and so I have used my material success and accolades to quiet the voices of not being good enough. And so for that, like wow. me having that. If I have that little voice that peeps up, it's like, hey, look at that. And I'm like, okay, no, no, I'm, I'm okay. I'm not, I'm not that bad. This money you know? just came in every yeah, month. Yeah, no, I'm not checked. that bad, yeah, yeah. right? And so, so I'd have to, I'd really have to re-engineer the conversation I have with myself around how I value myself. Because wow. um, then people are like, well, if you, you know, if, if everything disappeared, you know, how would you feel about yourself? I like to think that I would be uncomfortable and that I would change my views, but I haven't needed to do that yet. And so my effort goes elsewhere. Right. <laughs> but that's what probably would have to happen in order for me to make that change. Is it a... What is the thing that is you're afraid of inside of yourself? Is it a self-worth thing? Is it a, a self-love thing? Is it a belief that you're not good enough? Yeah, it'd definitely you... be a good enough thing, for really? sure. Yeah, it's just like maybe, 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 I'm, maybe I'm not as good as I think I am. Maybe, mm. maybe everything that I've been putting on media, maybe my book, maybe all these things are actually not true and I don't know what I'm talking about, right? Because clearly I don't know what I'm talking about because I'm not making any money. Like, so these things have been, that's why acquisition.com is the other half like the, the actual businesses of acquisition.com compared to the media of acquisition.com, it is the other half because it's the evidence of the fact that the things that I say are true. Because those are getting results. 100%. And they're growing. Right. And yeah. so that way I feel bulletproof when I make when I make the content, when I make the book, when I write the stuff. Like, you know, there's a zillion people who are like, you suck, none of this is true, whatever. And for me, it rolls off my back because I have evidence. Right. And I'm like, no, no, it is true. And here's how. But if I didn't have that, I would probably have to, it's because I don't know what the right call is there. Because if I didn't have the evidence, it would be hard for me to say you're wrong because I don't have any proof that they're wrong. But you and have so, evidence now. Right. And so I have this evidence. So, so how do you change the belief inside that you're good enough with the years of evidence now? The question is like, I, have I built a billion dollar thing yet? You know what I mean? Um, and so <laughs> that'll be 10 billion. Yeah, be yeah, yeah. Oh, of course. No, but like it's a, it's a fun, it's a... a it's a fun convo, and it's great because I it's this was wonderful, Lewis, because <laughs> I get to see my own limiting beliefs. Um, and just for everyone who's listening, like everyone deals with this, you know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. at every at every level, you're dealing with this of like feeling of inadequacy, you know, feeling not good enough, feeling like you're not smart, feeling like you don't work hard, whatever it is. Like I have that stuff mm -hmm. all the time because you think that the external circumstance is gonna is gonna solve that, 
And I would say that it does to a degree. It becomes right. a crutch. Right. But then you have this crutch, and then you just tie yourself worth the, to the accolade or the thing rather than still yourself. And maybe I need to do more work on that. Who knows? If you could overcome one thing or eliminate one thing internally to become a better leader to yourself, to, to quiet the noise 100%. or help you take a risk in a different way, yeah. not talking about lose all your money, but totally. take the risk to help you accelerate this. Yeah. And you don't have to, by any way, but I just believe that it's possible for you to do that. Yeah. I believe you can be a billionaire in two and a half years. I appreciate it. If you, That's the goal. If you shift yeah. whatever inside of you is holding yeah. you back uh, to get to that space, yeah. what would be that one thing to eliminate or overcome yeah. internally to make it happen? This need for external validation, 100%. The need for external validation. Why do you need external Why do you need external validation? I mean, I think part of it's so ingrained in us. If you think about us as kids, right? Like, how do you how do you orient yourself with the world? You get reinforced or punished at all at all phases, directly, indirectly. But you get reinforced or punished, and the things that you get reinforced, you do more of. The things you get punished, you do less of. Right? Like that's just how how we how we learn behavior, how we learn to function in society. Right? Touch that thing. Ah, it hurts. It's that's we got punished. Okay, you know, you uh, your parent tells you to sit down and be quiet and eat, and you learn to sit down and shut up and eat. And then we wonder why adults don't move because we're told to sit when we're running around, right? We learn- or at school, sit down and be quiet. 100%, yeah. and, we, and we wonder why uh, we eat so much when the reward for everything we did when we were a kid was food, right? We wonder these things. So the reason external validation is so hard, at least for me, is because it's how I learned everything, mm. is because external validation Gave, you know, gave me the, the directional guidance of, of what's good and what's not. And then as you get older, it's where am I going to get that validation from? And so I would say that my external validation um, comes, is still 100% there. It just comes from different sources. So, so I'm more selective on whose validation I want. So how much external validation do you need in order to overcome this belief? To go all in and do it in half the time. Yeah. No, I think I, I just I need to be able to validate myself. And that's fundamentally Ooh. I think Epictetus said this. He said, like, if you need someone else's if you need he has this quote, it's so good, but it's basically like you need to be able to give you don't need to swear to somebody else. You should be able to swear your swear to yourself and bear witness to yourself because mm. your word should be good enough. So you need to eliminate external validation. Right. From you feeling good enough, probably yeah, it's that, it's probably that link. Obviously, you need it's good to have feedback in life. Course, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. And so I think that's why it's it's also difficult for some in general because it's not eliminate or have more of. It's to what degree and from whom and about what. And so then it gets a little bit more complex. But even using those different lenses, I think it's it's good to unpack it for anyone who's listening. Which is like, okay, Layla said this, so this is not mine. Um, but most times when we're afraid of something. It's not actually like this amorphous crowd that we're afraid of. It's like one or two people's opinion. Like it's your dad or it's your whatever it is, right? And you're worried about what they're going to think. And they're not even thinking about you. But you think they're thinking about it. They're thinking about their dad. Right. <laughs> right? It's, not, it's not thinking about it. Whatever it is, right? And so she restated this earlier on in my, like when we were together five years ago. She was like, are you, and she like made me name the person. It wasn't my dad. It was somebody else for this particular thing. She was like, are you going to let this guy stop us from getting what we want? Wow. And it was like, when I saw it, it was like looking in front of me. I was like, she's like, what if this guy hates you and thinks you're terrible? Is that a worthy enough reason to still keep going? And I was like, yeah. She's like, let's go. You know what I mean? And so she was very good with that. What do you need to say to yourself every day to believe in, to believe you're good enough? If you could say one thing to you, that no one else needed to hear, but you needed to hear it from yeah. you, what would that be? 
I don't know if it would be a saying thing. I don't think it'd be like an affirmation. I think it's just a belief. What you know what I mean? What would the belief be? Yeah, it, I mean, fundamentally the belief would just have to shift that, that the doingness is enough validation for me. Not the results. Right. And that's all, I mean, fundamentally that's always the, the goal is that you can, you can detach the, the doingness from the result. I think what I've been able to do has been to extend the time horizon between the doingness and the result but not necessarily fully eliminate it. I'm patient in, in that I can continue to do things for very long periods of time before seeing a payoff. But if I were able to truly eliminate it, I think that would be kind of like a next step. Mm. Then again, it's that borderline on insanity because if you never get feedback on sometimes, you're like, maybe I should change direction. But you'll, you'll keep getting feedback though because yeah, you're creating, yeah. you're taking action. Yeah, you'll be, you know, the more you do that, you'll have more businesses you'll be acquiring, you'll be creating more content and everything yeah. will be growing at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? 100%. I love seeing you, you know, go through this process internally because I think... I'm open to it. I just want to win. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, I just want to be better. What does winning look like? It's achieving the potential. It's taking all this raw potential. The, 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 the line in the Bible that always scared me the most was to, who much is given, much is expected. And so, for me, I always felt like I was given a lot. You know what I mean? Like, I, I was born in America right off the bat. I was born as a guy. I have insane genetics. Like from, yeah. from that perspective, I have a six pack when I was 15. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. um, I, I have a pretty high processing load. Like I can, I can usually, I do okay with complex problems. Um, I, was, I was bilingual at basically at birth because parents talked to me a different language. So that gave me good language abilities. And so it's like, these are, these are all things that were given to me, right? And, and, and I was born into like a, a de- you know, from a, from a money standpoint, a decently wealthy family, mm-hmm. right? Um, not, you know, ultra brilliant, but like never worried about food or shelter or anything like that. Right. And so these are all the things that were given to me. And so to me, I'm like, man, much is expected. Right. And not necessarily that that's, you know, God, whatever. It just, I expect a lot of myself because I see so much potential. Um, and I want to train, like by the time I die, I would like to have nothing left in my potential tank. Um, and it just all have been transformed into, into my reality. Yeah. So that's what winning looks like. What do you feel like is missing in your life? Not a lot. I'm just like really right off the bat. Like I really like <laughs> I'm, I'm amped right now. I'm super pumped. I love what we're doing. I love the businesses that we're helping. Um, I love the mission. I like doing this. Yeah. Um, I, not not a lot. I mean, the, the, if I got into things that were missing, it would be like super tactical. Of like, I want I want these these roles are ones that I want filled sure, in the sure. company. You know what I mean? Like it'd be stuff like that. It wouldn't be anything else. Right. If you enjoyed that interview, then I know you'll love what we have coming up right now. And so what do you look for when you're, you're acquiring a business or investing in a business that has cash flow and what businesses have the best cash flow? So this will be relevant for everybody in the audience and also hits on what we were talking about with the wealth thing, like wealthy people choose higher leverage opportunities and we went over what leverage was earlier. Um, the best businesses, especially in an inflationary period, are businesses that have low capital expenses. Okay. Um, and that's because Can if you- you have some examples? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. If, like, I'll give you opposite examples to make, and then I'll drive it. So the, something that does have high capital expense, which is what you would not want to get into, would be like stuff that has lots of inventory, stuff that has lots of supply chain, lots of manufacturing, heavy equipment, things where you have to constantly buy more stuff in order to increase capacity, mm-hmm. right? A low capital expense business are things like services, right? Services- uh, you know, digital businesses, uh, software is mixed because sometimes the development team can be considered expensive, a capital yeah. expense. It really depends on how you build the dev team. But the idea is that if you can produce 10 times more units without phenomenally changing the, the cost basis, then you 
will have a business that has lower capital expenses. Yes. And so that's what you like. And most of those types of businesses produce more cash flow, have more pricing power. And so, I mean, that's what Warren Buffett invests in, right? It's high, ca- you know, like um, insurance, Geico. Right. There's no capital. It's risk. They're literally assessing <laughs> risk. Air. It's, it's yeah. math. Like the yeah. business is math. Yeah. Like if you really think it's just math is the entire business of insurance. And what's crazy, just as a side note, is that a great way of figuring out the highest leverage businesses that exist is looking at the business that have been here the longest. Mm-hmm. Insurance has been here since before world, the world wars. Right. Bank, the banks have been around forever. Right, J.P. Morgan was in the 1800s. Wow. Right, the, the, ins- the biggest insurance companies, they're all 100 plus years old. They're, they're found in the 1800s. And so when you have a business that's lasted that long, to me, that's a great breadcrumb of like, this thing has to print money. Because it means that they were able to still keep making money through wars, through famines, through depressions, all of it. And they were still able to keep going. And so I think that when people are like, when you look at all the, like many of the biggest businesses that exist, they have phenomenal gross margins. I don't want to get too like, mm-hmm. you know, business termy here, but like the, the gross margin is how much incremental cost it is to make a new an extra widget, right? And so like a pill, for example, costs $100 million to make the first pill. And then every pill after that costs a penny, right? Sure. And so the, the gross margin on the pill is very high because if they sell each pill for $10 and they cost them a penny, those are great margins. And most people who are small business owners or people who are trying to get into small business price like small business owners. They say, well, it costs me a dollar, I'll sell it for three or I'll sell it for two. But if you're already starting on like a 50% gross margin, it's very, very hard to make mm-hmm. money because think about it, like that's, at 100, you're already at half, and then you have the rest of everyone else you have to pay off that extra 50. Yes. Very hard to do. And so, like, I'll give a couple rules of thumb if anyone wants yes. those. But, like, if you're if you're building a service-based business for us, I would, I by all means, I have to get gross margins above 80%, which means five times the, the cost of goods. Wow. So if it costs me $100 a month, the minimum I'll charge is 500 right? And so that also gets you to think about business differently, which is, not necessarily even how much can I charge, but how can I provide value and make it cost as little to me? How can I be as efficient as possible? And if you think about what technology does over time, is technology takes something that's valuable and makes the cost of delivering it less. Mm-hmm. And so that's what happens is a lot of people are able to have access to things that were once only for the wealthy, but now become for the common man because the cost yes. basis decreases as a result of technology. And so technology as we see it, you know, like we can create technology, but you can also have technological in, um, breakthroughs just through process in your own business. It's like, and that's where niching down and being very specific about the avatar becomes important, especially when you're starting, because then you can productize the service. Because if you're doing everything custom, which most people when they're starting out do, it becomes really difficult to become efficient. And it's really difficult to become efficient, you have very little margin, right? Or you have to charge huge fees, which most people are too afraid to do. And so the flip side is, if I do the same thing over and over and over again, I will get better and more efficient at it, and I will know how to do it faster and quicker and cheaper. And I specifically choose this type of customer so that I can have more margin because there are millions of even this one specific type of avatar. Mm-hmm. And then from there, I can take the gross margin, the extra cash that I have, and I can hire the best people. I can invest in marketing. But when you have such little margin to work off of, it's very difficult to make money. Yeah, it's so hard to grow. That's interesting. What Do you think it's going to be harder or easier to become wealthy and, and start businesses over the next few years with everything that's happened in the last couple of years and where this whole great you know, 2030 agendas coming yeah. and all these different things are happening. The war yeah. and all the, you know, yeah. there might be another pandemic, whatever it might be. Yeah. Do you think it's going to be easier or harder to make money? I think technology in general makes things easier for most people. I mean, because at the end of the day, it's just, it's it's increased access mm-hmm. for more people. Yeah. And so I think... To reach more people yeah. at any moment. Yeah. If I were just to use history as a, as a, as a guide, 
business has only gotten easier to get into. It's gotten more competitive and easier to get into. And so I think that what happens is just the arena gets bigger. So you got more gladiators, mm. so it's more competitive, but right. more people can walk in. And so I think, but it, but for the world in general, the more people you have fighting to make amazing products and services, the better it is for society. Yeah. But the downstream effect of that is that in a capitalist system, it is a winner take all for most, for, for many, not all, but for many businesses. And just by the nature of it, that does create social disarray. Mm-hmm. And it's just, but the thing is, is like, it's still the best system that we have. We don't have a perfect system because the other, other systems remove incentive and humans right. are driven by incentive. Yeah. Even the survivorship bias, like every MLM in the world exists off the fact that there's that one guy who makes $500,000 a month selling shake mix. And the other five million shake mix producers are like, someday, that'll One day be I me. Can get there, yeah. And it's just survivorship bias, right? But that's why the whole capitalist machine works. So I think they're like figuring out some sort of a, you know, creative way. Like my, I, I put this in my, on my YouTube channel. Um, but like the idea of having 100% death tax, I thought was like, take down like the income taxes and all this stuff. But like the thing that creates the conglomerate at the top is that, if let's say let's say I have a hundred billion dollars, mm-hmm. right? That's interesting. And if I, if I have a hundred billion, I'm probably pretty good at managing it because that's why I have a hundred billion. So mm-hmm. let's say I gain fifteen percent. You're holding it. you're, yeah. you're, let's you're let's not I, using it. Yet. Yeah. Let's say I gain fifteen percent on my assets. So I make fifteen billion dollars, right, on my assets. It is so hard for anyone to <laughs> to make that up in a lifetime right. with just the and like that might be my kid who gains 15 in the next year, he gains 20. Like, and so it, the compounding effect of the wealth is across generational is where I think it gets crazy. But if there were a hundred percent death tax, because obviously this is aligned with my belief that all of it disappears anyways. Um, so this is obviously Alex's sure. two cents in the world. Um, but it's just basically dramatically lower the income, income taxes. I think income taxes should be like as close to zero as possible and then make the capital gains taxes higher because that's only going to really affect the wealth if you really want to think about it, right? Because people who, if you make with your hands, awesome. Right. If you make on your assets, that's the stuff that has no, has infinite leverage with, with time. So if you trade the most expensive thing for your money, then I feel like you should get taxed less mm-hmm. than if you trade no time for your money. Sure. Just as like a weird thought experiment. What do you think would happen if it was 100% death tax? I think that billionaires would become far more giving. And as they approach the end, they know they can't keep it. And I also think it would change the way the game is played. Because if you know, because this is the analogy that I, I like, I, I haven't heard it anywhere else, so I think it's mine. Um, but if you were to imagine life as a poker game, right? And we, we, everybody you know, grows up, they become 18 years old, they can go into the casino, they get a chip, or 21, whatever age you can be. And then you get, you get a chip, and then you sit down at the table, and you're dealt cards, right? And there's all the other players around the table. And depending on the cards you're dealt and the skill you have, you, you begin to amass chips, right? And the difference between this fictitious, you know, casino and the casino of life is that in the real world, you can amass chips, you cash out, you have a big wad of money, and you walk out the door. But in the casino of life, when the Grim Reaper taps you and tells you it's, tells you it's time, you have to get up from the table, but your chips stay on the table and they push them to the middle to be distributed by everybody else mm-hmm. and continue to get played for. And that's when you realize that it was a fake game with rules that never mattered to begin with. And so I bought this piece of land in Austin. It was this huge, it was like a big, really, really nice lot. And I remember thinking to myself, like, got me this some is, land. Yeah, I got me some land, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I own this. this. Yeah, I have that tree to that thing it's on the horizon. It's mine. Yeah, right. <laughs> and then I thought to myself, I was like, well, the guy before me thought the same thing. And the guy before him thought the same thing. And the guy before him thought the same thing. And I was like, and we've literally still been looking at the exact same piece of dirt. 
and it's just been cycled. Even if it was father to son, even if it was family to whatever, like the like death taxes everyone one hundred percent. Like mm-hmm. even if the government doesn't, death taxes everybody one hundred percent, and then time taxes your money to infinity because like people are like, I want to build a legacy. It's like that's even just with like within Americana, you know what I mean, within the times of America, but like. You go a thousand years and there's never been the same superpower over a thousand year period. Right. And so we're like, I'm going to leave a legacy. It's like, but that would be like, you know, let's say an ancient Greek saying, I'm going to leave a legacy for my kids when like they might change their currency by, you know, X, Y, Z year. And there's so many things. And I've had a real experience with this because my great, great grandfather was a ruler in Iran, which is huh. where we're from. Huh. We got uh, kicked out because we were Lord of the Shah back in the day, hmm. um, which is why my dad came to the U.S. And so... Despite that, my great-great-great-grandfather um, had like 400 wives, ruler, very, very wealthy. <laughs> really? Yeah, very, very wealthy. Different time, different, yeah, different culture. Very, very wealthy. He's a ruler, right? Yeah, yeah. All the money, all the women, all the everything. everything. Literally, a ruler, <laughs> right? And it doesn't matter. And here I am. I'm not even that many generations separated from him, right? Even that. Yeah, still, you don't have all that wealth. You I don't, don't have, have that land. Yeah. Right. And so like... The idea that we're going to somehow, like, because the desire for legacy is the desire to cheat death. Like, that's what it stems from. It's like, we don't want to die. We want to last forever. And so we want to make something that is impermanent. And so we fool ourselves into thinking that the accolades and the material success and the books we write, whatever, are going to last forever. And they're probably not. Right? And so, like, I mean, the sun's going to disappear at some point. Right? So, like, right, right. So like if we don't do anything before then, like, at the very least, that's going to happen. And so if that is the inevitable outcome... I think it shifts the way people think. And I think that's when you start changing. I mean, Tony Robbins talks about like global, global belief systems. And that's why if someone like adopts a new religious belief, like everything changes because the reasons they do and the way they believe the world works changes. And so I think that if they did do a hundred percent death tax, it would be a really interesting way to see the downstream effects of how it would change the, the way the players played the game. What do you think would happen if all the billionaires started distributing their wealth sooner? I think what would happen or, or would is, they be as hungry to be and driven to push and build and innovate yes. to generate the wealth if yeah. they knew oh, I got to give this away anyways quickly? I think they would. Why? I think it's because it's. I think it's. I think I'm going to say something that may sound bad, but um, I think winners win because of who they are. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's like sales guys. Like you can have an incentive or a comp plan. They just want to win. But they are salespeople, and if I get on the phone, I want to sell. Because of who I am, not because of the comp. The comp is the ticket to get me to say yes to the deal, but it will not change my activity. I will do it because I love to sell, right? And so I think billionaires get there because they love the game. Like you don't get to a billion without just, because you obviously don't need it for you. You stopped needing it for you millions and millions ago, right? And so you do it just because you love the game. What I do think, and the reason that I I like that solution is because, uh, Elon Musk said this, but uh, private enterprise is 10 times as efficient at capital allocation compared to the government. Right. So every dollar that private private enterprise spends, it's 10 times more efficient. And so the idea is like if, if we were to death tax 100%, so whatever you accumulate while you're alive, it just goes back. Like, And the thing is, is, it's not that it would go back into the system through the government. It would if you were lazy. But most people, knowing the government was going to take it, the less efficient vehicle at the end of your life, you would then start thinking about how can I allocate this money efficiently? And so what I think what would happen is you'd create far more ingenuity and innovation around social enterprise um, before they die, solving problems, knowing yeah. that the wealth would eventually disappear. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's more there's this backstop that no one wants to hit, and so I think what happened is they would change their behavior before hitting the backstop. I don't think a lot sure. of people would just be dumping their billion to the government. I think just knowing that they had to, 
would then trigger them to, yeah, yeah. That would be, you know, hey, that's Alex's two cents of the world, which is obviously different. Than What's, um, and you just had a big exit, right? Yeah. Last year, what was that for? How much? It was, it was 46 points. 46 million. So when yeah. that enters your account, yeah. what did you expect would happen? What did happen? And what can you teach other people about what they should expect to happen when they have a big exit? <laughs> so I will say that I, I did not feel the money. I did feel the loss of cash flow. Because I had this, you know, I measured myself off cash flow for since. Now you don't have any. Right. You got a big chunk, but then no money coming in every month. So I actually felt, and I probably still still feel poorer (laughs) now than I did before the exit. That's interesting. Because the cash flow is going down. Now, I I know that acquisition.com is going to be, I think, significantly bigger than than those companies were. Um, But in the interim, I definitely did not feel any better after that. Um, I am happy that I did it because I do think I'm in the right, you know, vehicle doing what we're doing now, making the books, making the, the YouTube channels, the, the Twitters, the, yeah, yeah. the social medias, all of them. But the cash flow is what I felt. And because I'd taken dividends my whole life, the amount of money that we got out was pretty much about what we already had anyways. Right. So it was not life changing in any way. Um, it didn't change how I lived at all. Um, like not at all. We didn't, we didn't have any big, like, what are you going to buy? I was like, well, I could, you know, I'm happy already. Yeah. I could buy a hundred Lambos before the sale. You know what I mean? Like that wasn't, and I never bought them in and I never did. So like, you know, cause I, I don't get a lot of out of that. Um, what else was different? Losing, losing the team is hard. Um, because when you sell a company, you sell the, you sell the people. Like that's something that people talk about. Yeah. Yeah. But you sell, you sell the organism. You sell the, the system, the people, yeah. and the processes, and, the yeah. and everything. Yeah. 100%. And so that was that was hard because there's definitely times now that we're um, building acquisition.com where I'm like, man, I wish I had so-and-so. Or, oh, I already taught this person everything. I, like, I have to do it again. So yeah. there is a, but there's also some level of beauty to it because now that I'm doing acquisition.com, um, I have a different appreciation for what I'm doing because every other time that I've started something, it has been from a place of lack. It has been from a like, well, this is what's going to not make me poor. You know what I mean? Like the gyms was all about that. And then I lost it all. So the second time was all about that again. Wow. So this time I'm starting not like that. And I know what it got like before we sold the companies last year. I spent basically 12 months not doing anything because I wasn't required in the business. Like it truly, it ran. And so I had a lot, like it was very so depressing. Have a purpose. Exactly. It was very depressing for me. What happens if we don't have a purpose? I mean, you, you find one, <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? And so for me, but you're I, in a depressed state, even though you have, I mean, I'm sure you're fine, but yeah. you are emotionally, mentally like, what am I doing every day? Exactly. I have nothing I go to, to the do. gym for so long. Right. Can I go out to dinner? Yeah. yeah. I mean, like what else are you going to do? I can eat every meal I want. I can travel. Okay. Now what? After yeah. three months of that, you got to have some mission. You yeah. got to have some purpose, right? Even though you have the money, yeah. your safety, you have everything. Yeah. Security, but it wasn't fulfilling. A hundred percent. And so that was that was 12 straight months. And it was because we were going through a sales process. So you can't start new initiatives because I'm in the middle of a sale. Um, and you don't want to like make any massive new hires. And so you just basically have to just Wait. like maintain. And the whole time you're wondering, I hope this deal goes through. Because if it doesn't, then you just wasted a year just doing nothing. Oh, and man. then you might have to do it again. So it was this it was it was a super, super, it was one of the most emotionally tiring years of my life because it's always like, this is about to happen. It's not going to happen. The deal's on the table. The deal's off the table. Like there's all of this drama that's happening constantly. And I also, one of the things that sucked that I didn't like was as soon as I had made the decision to sell, 
um, or that I was going to entertain the idea of selling. And this is a mistake I made. Everything became about satisfying a fictitious overlord of like, well, what, what will they think about this move? Well, how will they value this? And I started Who's thinking- they? Whatever acquirer, uh-huh. whatever private equity was going to buy the company, I'm like, how gotcha. are they going to see this? Are they going to value this? Or is this a waste? And so what happened was I started making the private equity buyer my customer. And that was a mistake. And so I think that like at the end of the day, and now that, and what happened was, interestingly, we started the sales process because my wife and I were beat down. Like we were just very tired yeah. of, you know, we've been in gyms for almost 10 years, you know, at that point. Not to say that that's not a good thing, but like, whatever. We, it, we, we, were, course. we were ready. We were ready. But in order for us to sell it and make it a sellable business, we had to fix all the things <laughs> that were wrong with <laughs> yeah. it, right? And so we took a year before the year. So that it took was, two what, years. Or exactly. Oh, yeah. So it took two years, basically, one year to like fix everything and then one year to sell it. But the thing is, it's just like when you have a house that you like fix up before you get ready to sell it. By the time you're about to sell it, you're like, I love this house. This is amazing. I just fixed all these, th- all the problems I fixed. Now I've got more cash flow. It's yeah. more efficient. You yeah. know, I got the rid of the toxic going. people. Yeah, 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 exactly. And so it was, again, a very like mind trip experience where I'm like, well, maybe I should just hold it as an asset that just produces cash flow. Yeah. You know, over, Uncle Warren never sells anything. Like selling is what makes you rich keeping is what makes you wealthy like you know i'm like i've got oh, yeah. all these kind of things in the back of my mind but i think ultimately like i think no matter what we had done we would have been fine but i think for me right now i think the likelihood that the choice if i had two alternate realities which i don't have to play in i think that the choice will ultimately yield more impact for more people um i would not have the attention to do acquisition.com and the media stuff that we're doing right now i wouldn't be here right just straight i wouldn't you'd I wouldn't be focused be on your gyms yeah, yeah. or the, yeah exactly on, on those companies that yeah, were in, the, in yeah. that portfolio and acquisition.com would still be a side thing, but it probably wouldn't be the main thing. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas now it is 100% of my attention and the companies are killing it. And right. um, I feel renewed. When I launched School of Greatness 10 years ago, I remember saying, I'm gonna do this for one year because I, I wish I had access to this. I wish this was a thing that I could go listen to yeah. in the world to teach me. Yeah. And I'm not gonna try to make money. Yeah. Like I'm gonna do it for a year. Yeah. All in, but I'm not going to try to make money. I don't want to make money. Yeah. I mean, if the money came, great. Sure. Yeah. But it wasn't my intention. It was just yeah. to, how can I create the best content to serve people on the things that I wish I would have learned in school growing up? Yes. The school of greatness. Yeah. And after one year, I was like, man, this thing's really starting to take off. Yeah. You know? But it wasn't based on how do I make as much money. Totally. It was how do I create something that can really make a lasting change. Yeah. And it, that intention is yeah. what's made me sustainable for 10 years, loving the process. Totally. So when people come from a place, what I'm hearing you say, when they come from a place of that intention of service or because this needs to be in the world. It's art. Art exists not to do something. It exists to exist. Right. It's like no one says, why did you paint that? It's like, because it needed to come out. Needed to, exactly. I needed to express it. Exactly. And so I think that if people chose their businesses that way, I think, and don't get me wrong. I'm all about making money. Like, by yes. all means, go get your bag. You make know as I mean? much as you can. Yeah, 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 by all means. But I think that what it does is it ends up freeing you to then make your real impact because then you can start the whatever the next thing. And hopefully your first thing is that thing. But realistically, it probably isn't. And all you have to do is look at every entrepreneur that's really wealthy, the amount of graveyard businesses they have in their back. <laughs> right. Right. And so, like, right now, if you're listening and you're like, I'm not sure if this is the perfect business idea. Let me just save you the time. It's not because look at every other person who has been ultra successful. They have 10 failed business ideas. So just like just start. So you can just start notching off the bad businesses. Right. But extending the time horizon, I think, only happens if you do shift the intention through which you're building it or you're just unbelievably (laughs) self-disciplined. But I think it's easier to just like start at it with the right heart 
because uh, uh, small tangent, but I think it'll be worth it, is that the reason that most people aren't successful, in my opinion, is that they sacrifice global benefit for local benefit. And that happens in all areas of life. You eat the piece of cake because you have an acute local benefit versus the global benefit of a six pack that lasts for a very long time or better health, et cetera, right? You mean um, the instant gratification as opposed yes. to delayed gratification. Yes, exactly. And I just, I like saying global, I just like saying local versus global because it, it, it happens in, in an organization, for example, sales guys don't want to put the notes in the thing because it's a pain in the butt to put the notes in the CRM. But finance needs the notes, customer service needs the notes, success needs the notes, like all of these other departments need those notes for all the other things that we're going to do. And so it's a local cost, but for a global benefit. And so I think if people were able to delay that immediate gratification, which is like, this is the nature of success. Mm-hmm. I think right. there, so was, funny, man. there was this study that was done, I can't remember it, is this the marshmallow it? test or the other? Okay, God, I can talk about the marshmallow <laughs> test. Okay, so fun, fun one with that, with the marshmallow test, is measuring how long they delay for the marshmallow. Uh-huh. So at what point does it not make sense? If they say you can get one, because they like, to, everyone simplifies the experiment, which mm-hmm. is like, if I give you a marshmallow, one now, or you can get two later, right? But what if two is in a year? Yeah, you're like, I don't care, I'll take the one now. Right, so then the next question I would have is like, if you were to test kids and then say at what point the global versus local crosses would be, mm. and then track the kids who had the longest marshmallow waiting period, because oh, then you could measure how long they're the most willing successful, to wait. probably a life. Right. Yeah, really interesting. Just total side note. But uh-huh. the three things that I think were in common of the ultra successful were uh, inflated sense of self, as in they thought that they like they deserved big things, they wanted to go after big things, they believed in themselves, right? Inferiority, never being good enough, mm. and impulse control. Those are the three factors of the most successful. They're like when they did a common factors analysis, like these people think they believe that they can achieve all this amazing stuff. And then it, it's just, it's an amazing paradox because at the same time, they think they're not good enough and they are insecure about whether they, they can achieve it. And they have impulse control. And so it's like, if you have, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And they just, they, they, and they stay focused on the thing. And what I like, I'd say the biggest breakthroughs that I've had, I think that will create a lot of the wealth that we will have in the future is, is really a deep understanding of how long long is and shooting with the intention of like, I'm only bringing this up because my YouTube guy said it. He's like, I've never had somebody who actually started it. I was like, we'll see what we do in five years. <laughs> I was like, we'll measure that. And he was yeah. like, no one has literally ever said that to me. I was like, as long as I see progress, I'm yeah. good. Because everyone like, wants results in like two months. You yeah, know? I, yeah. Like if we're make, if we're going this way, I'm cool. I don't need to say like that's good enough. For most people, if if they could extend the time horizon, because like I'll give you another hack. You can know how wealthy someone is based on the time horizons they speak in. Give me an example. So if someone's talking about how they're trying to make you know make money this today, like, hey, let me hold twenty for today. You know how you know how poor they are. Uh-huh. I have to say poor. Like you know how yeah, poor yeah, they yeah. are, right? If someone's talking about what they're going to make this week, or this month, or this quarter, or this year, or this decade, think about how different the people are who are talking in those time horizons. Mm-hmm. And so I think that if we can shift the time horizon that we think in, mm. then we gain more leverage over our time, which we then know we will compound into money. Because I think if you can master the time, you master them. <laughs> That's good. The more I, I learned, the more I realized I was lied to. Like, we're taught to go to school, to get a degree, to get a job, so we can then get a job and climb the corporate ladder. But wealthy people don't do that. Wealthy people are not working to climb the corporate ladder, they're working to own the corporate ladder. 
I didn't even realize that you could do that. 